You are listening to Tornado Radio, weathering the storms here in Central Texas and all points abroad since 2020, looking for a brighter future. Well, we've got a really great guest for you all today. George Hogan has enjoyed a career that's a little different from a lot of musicians that you'll meet. As an operatic bass, he's performed in three continents and is as fine an example of a classical singer that you will ever hear anywhere. And he's of interest to Tornado Radio for a couple of reasons. One is that he is a vital part of our local music scene. And the other reason is that George takes an approach to singing to which I'm kind of partial. He's one of those singers, like the late, great Aretha Franklin, who used their voice as an instrument. He really understands the vocal mechanism because he's studied it, even to the point of learning how to sing in other languages. In other words, as a singer, he doesn't just wing it. He knows what he's doing. And I just wanted to have a conversation with that kind of singer and share that conversation with you all. Yeah. 
Today we're interviewing opera singer, vocal instructor, and voiceover professional George Hogan. George made his operatic debut on PBS with the Des Moines Metro Opera Festival. He has performed in Europe and nearly every other opera stage in North America. Welcome to Tornado Radio, George. Thank you, Shanti. How did you get started in singing, George? I always sang. I grew up in West Texas, out in a home where uh, singing was a norm, and we went to church. Uh, we sang a lot of hymns and gospel songs, and uh, grew up really with a lot of country and Western music uh, that my dad played uh, until I got into ninth grade. Uh, well, actually, let me back up there a little bit. My voice changed early, so uh, I had a kind of a low C and in going into seventh grade, and uh, my junior high choir director, Conrad Bratton, uh, brought me in to vocalize me, and um, and I went down uh, to the low C the first time, and, and he shook his head and and uh, had a real high tenor voice, and he was, uh, uh, let's try that again, and uh, vocalized me down, and <laughs> and I went down to low C, and he said, 
that's just not possible. Let's one more time. <laughs> and uh, anyway, after the third time, uh, he put me in ninth grade concert choir mixed. And of course, back then was junior high. So junior high was seventh through ninth grade. And um, so that's kind of how the, the train started. Um, and uh, then in ninth grade, um, I um, auditioned for Texas All-State Choir. And uh, and along that journey, uh, Mr. Bratton was, uh, again, um, very involved in helping my future and uh, introduced me to uh, a summer music camp that was actually at McMurray College, of all places. And uh, at that time, he introduced me to my first voice teacher, Dr. David Blackburn. And uh, as a ninth grader, I walked up to Dr. B uh, after that summer festival, and I said, uh, Dr. Blackburn, I'd really like to study with you. And he looked at me and said, uh, I don't teach kids, and turned around and walked away. And uh, so anyway, uh, I ran after him and tugged on his uh, on his coat sleeve and said, uh, <laughs> Dr. Blackburn, I'd really like to study with you. And he looked at me and he said, uh, will you do everything I ask you to do? And, and I said, yes, sir. And he said, all right, the minute you don't, you're out. And he turned on his heels and walked away. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, the way I got introduced to opera, I had to set that up because uh, in my voice lessons, Dr. Blackburn always thought it was really important to listen to the great artists. And so he gave me my first LP of Jerome Hines. And uh, many people don't know who Jerry Hines was, but uh, he stood about six seven, six eight. Uh, he was a incredible low bass, sang at the Met for, I think, uh, 40 plus years, um, and, uh, wonderful Christian man. And, uh, anyway, uh, I just really thought, man, this is, I've never heard anything like this. Um, and that summer, Dr. Blackburn had, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, three of his students come in and they, uh, uh, actually all three that wound up being international opera singers later in life. Uh, but they, uh, sang a recital and I just, uh, you know, I caught the virus right there, and uh, we started uh, uh, going. Of course, being a young bass, you know, it takes a long time for the voice to mature, but I did I did have that wonderful break there my first uh, year as an apprentice at Des Moines Metro Opera, and, and uh, shout out to Dr. Robert Larson, who afforded me that opportunity uh, to sing Theseus in Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, wow. Des Moines. Things, good things actually come from Des Moines, Iowa. Well, you know, my wife came from Iowa. All so, right. uh, okay. yeah.
How would you describe the difference between singing opera and singing other styles of music? The fundamentals are, are all the same, and I think if you have good fundamentals, you can sing nearly every genre of music. You've got to have good posture, breath, and support. You want to use your whole body as your instrument and not just your throat. Singing on an operatic stage and you're singing over a 125-piece orchestra with no microphone, uh, you are your own amplification. If I'm singing something with microphone like country and western, I'm not going to belt it out like I am on stage with no microphone. My mouth isn't going to be so open singing, uh, you know, pop or jazz or country and western uh, like it would be for opera and uh, and sometimes music theater as well. Uh, that's probably one of the more uh, throat-demanding genres out there, I think, right now, besides uh, maybe rock and roll. But rock and roll's come a long way. So how is how is an operatic singing career different from typical singers? Do you get a lot of groupies? Groupies. Well, you know, you do have those groupies out there. Um, I think, you know, I think my dad kind of said it the best uh, back when I was first starting. said, son, you know what the uh, definition of an optimist is? And I said, no, dad, what? And he said, that, that'd be an opera singer with a pager. I went off to Nashville to do my undergrad with Dr. Blackburn. I came back home, and, and of course, they were all giving me a hard time that I'd gone off to Nashville to do Opry. And, uh, you know, I was like, no, it's spelled (laughs) O-P-E-R-A. I told them it's spelled O-P-E-R-A, not O-P-R-Y. And uh, and so the fellow, you know, he'd say, well, you know, George, uh, I'll be up there in that... uh, in my office there, and I, now I see a Willie and Waylon's bus pull in, but I, I never see that Pavarotti bus come in. I, I'm not sure what's going on, but, you know, <laughs> probably one of the biggest things is just foreign languages. You know, as an opera singer, uh, I had to sing, uh, you know, certainly sing in English, but predominantly Italian, German, and French with some Russian. You know, there, you don't hear too many uh, country and Western songs in that. <laughs> You've played everywhere. Can you give us an overview of your career development? So after I finished my undergrad with Dr. Blackburn, and I had done two summers out at Des Moines Metro Opera, we were looking at grad schools, and we were looking at Indiana University, and then actually the one that really kind of opened up was uh, the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia. I went up and sang for those guys and wound up getting a a full scholarship, so everything was paid for, which back in those days was uh, really nice. Certainly didn't come from a home that was without, but like many of us, it was more of a blue-collar home, and you know, having uh, extra uh, to throw out there on a career uh, probably wasn't there. So anyway, Mr. Bratton came into my career again and, and put together several businessmen in Abilene to help me have a little bit of a stipend. It was $50 a month, which was huge. It helped me uh, survive. I lived in a 12 by 12 garret room. Uh, my window faced a brick wall. Uh, I uh, slept at night when the roaches came out, Um, but I didn't care. I was doing what I loved to do, and so uh, the only time I was in that little room was when I was sleeping at night. I'd get up and walk to my dream job every day, and and I think that time was really exciting because, you know, all I was doing was studying to be a singer, man. It was awesome, really able to channel into, um, you know, what I wanted to do and what my dream was, which was, uh, you know, to be an international operatic singer. I wound up doing... uh, PBS recording of Magnificat. And then I won the uh, New York auditions for the San Francisco Marilla Opera Program. So the Marilla Opera Program was a summer festival, much like Des Moines, and, uh, but it was out on the West Coast in San Francisco. I won first place on that and went out to sing, uh, starting Don Giovanni, singing Leporello, and 
And uh, the career kind of took off from there. Uh, they gave me a grant. I met my next teacher, Giorgio Totsi. Uh, Giorgio was a phenomenal man. And uh, y'all probably know Giorgio better from uh, his days as a singer. Uh, but it's kind of funny. He sang at the Met and everything everywhere else. Uh, but he also sang a lot of Broadway and recorded uh, the old South Pacific LP. He was actually mm-hmm. the, the Emile uh, singing oh. voice for that production, that film version. I came out of there uh, really a different singer. Uh, then I signed with Columbia Artists in New York and um, started uh, my journey through uh, regional houses in the U.S. and uh, eventually uh, to the bigger houses like uh, Houston Grand Opera, Dallas Opera, um, Chicago Lyric, uh, New York City Opera, uh, and uh, and. Actually, Austin Lyric, too. Uh, started that journey, and then uh, the doors opened internationally. And I had a chance to go over and sing in Germany as a career, but I chose to be an American artist. Singing on every Fisher Hall was, was certainly a lot of fun. And the uh, Rossini Centennial Gala with uh, Sam Raimi and Marilyn Horn and a lot of uh, a lot of big stars, that was a lot of fun. But uh, I think the, the most fun was my debut down in uh, Sydney, Australia, with the Australian Opera. And uh, I went down there and, and uh, for about a year and sang in two of their seasons. It was a tough uh, gig because uh, we stayed at a place called Woolamaloo Waters, which was a hotel on the bay. <laughs> and uh, every morning I had to walk through the botanical gardens in order to get oh, to, the, to wow. the opera house. So... It was yeah. uh, it was a rough life, and so that must uh, have been hell. <laughs> yeah. <Aww. laughs> and then my uh, my uh, dressing room, you could look out of the window and and see uh, uh, see the bay and look down to the water, and it, it was it was pretty incredible. But opening night, uh, I was doing several operas there, and the first one I was doing with uh, Maestro. Uh, uh, Sir Richard Bonning and uh, his wife. Uh, opera people know Joan Sutherland, uh, famous color mm-hmm. tour soprano. And uh, and I had a knock at the door. I was in costume and and I went to open the door and and uh, there was Joan Sutherland. And uh, I I had no words that I could say. You know, it'd be kind of like meeting Dolly Parton or something. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, and uh, she came by to wish me well on opening night. And uh, I, uh, I I thought, wow. Wow, I, I couldn't. I was so embarrassed. And of course, back then, I wish we had cell phones, but it wasn't really cool to take pictures with famous stars. You know, you just didn't do that back in the day. Uh, but uh, but that would have been a fun selfie to post uh, for sure. Oh, 
time and uh we were penny and i were living in new york city and she was singing as well and uh she got pregnant with our first son and uh we decided to to move out of new york uh so we moved down to tulsa and that put us halfway in between her family and iowa and my family in west texas i just got tired of being on the road you know i was gone 10 months out of the year i watched uh other families that I knew in the career that, uh, you know, wound up getting divorced or, you know, they're at odds with their kids. And I never really wanted to, to go through that. In my upbringing, it was always God first, family second, and then career. So uh, we were in Tulsa. I just, I don't know, talked to my agent at Columbia and, and I said, you know, I need a break. They said, I, I don't think that'd be very good, George. And I said, well, I'm taking it anyway. <laughs> Took a break, and uh, and then I really got a lot of pressure to just uh, uh, give up all my contracts, and and uh, like a dummy, I listened to that agent and uh, canceled my contracts, and um, uh, so I was faced with a situation I'd never been in. I was never a very depressed person, but I uh, really found a found a black a black spot in uh, in time there. Uh, I decided to open up chapter number two. You know, I felt like God's spirit came on me and and uh, really convicted me, um, and uh, and I felt called the ministry. Well, growing up, I'd always felt like my ministry was on stage as a singer, and I treated it as such. I always tried to sing in local churches and and do that type of thing, but but this was felt different. So um, uh, we uh, sold everything we had, we packed it all up, moved to Fort Worth, and I started uh, seminary. I got an email from George Stansbury, who was at that time the Dean of Fine Arts, uh, UMHB, and he said, hey, listen, we'd like for you to come down here. Uh, Penny and I went down, and I taught there for about 18 years. And uh, and I guess for me, you know, it seems I was talking to one of my friends who's a psychiatrist, and I said, you know what, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird or strange or unique <laughs> or eclectic. I have no idea. And, uh, and of course she said, well, you know, George, most opera singers are. And I said, well, I appreciate that. You know, it seems like every 20 years I, I get ready to start another chapter in my life. And so I embarked on a new career, opened up a studio in New York city and, uh, started going back to, uh, teaching professionally again and singing to traveling back and forth every month to New York to do my studio up there. And then COVID hit, I shut the door on, uh, my, uh, studio in New York city. I had to cancel two summer those summer gigs and also my singing gigs. Also, I had to really look at, you know, what am I going to do? And I had to look at, uh, you know, what can I do from home? One of my old coaches up in New York mentioned, 
voiceover. There's a lot of parallels between uh, my old career and this one, uh, but uh, I am really, really enjoying that. There are a variety of types of voiceover from impression and narration to cartoons and commercials. What types are you most interested in? All of the above. I, I certainly don't want to cut myself out. You know, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm working with my coach now, and that's kind of the question I've been asking Bob. You know, so Bob, uh, you know, I mean, what do you think, you know, what do you think's uh, in my wheelhouse? And Bob's always like, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do some voices and some character voices and uh, cartoons. I was, you know, kind of joking around about doing Darth Vader. Uh, uh-huh. But, you know, there's, there's, yeah, I think that, I think that voice is copyrighted right now. And, uh, Anyway, uh, with James so Earl Jones. So you can't do a Darth Vader impression? I don't know. Can I? I guess well, I could. Would you? <laughs> sure, yeah. I'll do one for you. <sighs> Luke, I am your father. <laughs> Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desires I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire This is a two-part question. Um, yeah. What was the biggest hissy fit you witnessed? I'm a singer, and I, I kind of don't like singers sometimes. I mean, you know, they're like lead <laughs> guitar players. They really, ugh. <laughs> well, you know what they say, you know, when you when you get around uh, instrumentalists. I mean, instrumentalists are musicians, and singers are just singers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I ha- I hate to say I don't think that's necessarily true, but I do think that um, we don't we can't go down to the local music store and buy the best inter- uh, the best instrument that money can buy. We're with what we were given us when we were uh, created. The next thing is um, we house our instrument in our body. Everything that could affect the body is going to affect the instrument. There are about five days a year that you're in phenomenal voice, and you're never contracted for any of those five days. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's Law at work. I was homebound my first grade year because I couldn't walk a block without having an asthma attack. Oh, my goodness. But later in my career, uh, I was singing out in Santa Fe Opera, and uh, and I, you know, I just felt like I was going through some allergies or whatever, and finally... They said it wasn't allergies, it was asthma. Put me through some tests, and they, uh, you know, they said, George, can't be asthma. And I, and I said, well, I, I had asthma when I was a kid. And they said, really? And said, yeah. And said, well, uh, you know, we, we measured your lungs and everything. You have Olympic lungs. My career choice uh, had a direct uh, effect uh, on, my, uh, on my health, which was yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, one of my favorite stories is Beverly Sills, and she was over in Italy. The dress, the costume she was gonna, supposed to wear um, didn't fit, and she kept asking for a new costume, new costume. Well, it finally came up on the, uh, I can't remember, maybe the dress rehearsal night or something, 
and uh, they still hadn't uh, given her a new dress or a new costume. And so she she had her dresser uh, hold up the dress, and she took uh, um, big gardening shears and cut it in half. On the, oh yeah, my god! Oh on the stage god. in front of everybody, and said, "Now you can get me a new dress." Oh, um, my goodness. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Effective. Yeah, the stories in opera. If people knew the stories in opera, I think they'd all find it a lot more interesting. You know, you know that. Yeah, that's certainly a sidebar. You know, when you go see a movie, you just want to know is the movie good. Don't tell me about it because I don't want you to spoil it. But really, with opera, the more you know about it, the more you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of those libretti or story, you know, the the text um, is uh, sometimes based on historical things. And really, back in the day when this was written. It was really a tool to speak out against things, and that—that's really what opera was during the during that period of time. Uh, going back to some of the uh, some of the other stories, um, so in Tosca, uh, I guess this baritone had uh, ticked the the soprano off, and um, so it comes a time when when he's dead, right? And he typically is lying on his back on the floor. You know, she puts the candles down and and says a blessing, puts the usually puts the cross on their chest, and and uh, and usually it's not a overtly big cross. Well, this this soprano had gone out and bought a a, a very heavy cross, <laughs> and uh, and then instead of um, uh, you know laying it down on him, she she dropped it in a in a very uh, tender place on the body. Oh, good. And uh, of course he's dead, and he can't really do anything. Oh God. Uh, and uh, so uh, and then. You know, there was another story where I think uh, they had, uh, uh, in Carmen, the Toreador was supposed to come in and sing. Uh, I think it was that one. Um, and um, he uh, was supposed to jump on this cart. Well, anyway, they put wheels on the cart, and he jumped on it and went off the other side of the stage, which was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, my big fit, um, you know, came from a time when I was uh, – uh, doing a performance, and uh, we were doing it in this uh, big arena. So it would be like singing in the Expo Center, right? Yeah. Opening night, we go out, and, and of course, you know, in opera, the size of your voice does matter. I had a, a better-than-average-sized voice. They had put mop body mics on all of us, right, which I hated microphones. Microphones made singers out of people that God never intended to sing. <laughs> They're like dark side of the force. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely the dark side of the force. So um, so anyway, I'm out there, and I notice mine's not working. Well, everyone else's is. So the reviews come out after opening night, right? And, uh, and, uh, and I, you know, I got a decent review. Um, the smallest voice on stage got the best review, which just really honked me, you know. And, and not that I was jealous or anything. I'm just like going, you know, come on, man. Let's do apples to apples here. So, uh, so the next night, uh, we went out. And, um, you know, they were aware of the problem. And uh, I went out in Act 1, and the uh, microphone didn't work again. So the guy came into our, came into my dressing room and, well, Mr. Hogan, you know, I'm sorry, you know, blah, blah. And I said, well, that, you know, it needs to be fixed. And, and they said, uh, well, I don't know if we'll be able to fix it tonight. And I said, well, great. Why don't you give me the baritones and you give him mine? I don't know if I can do that, Mr. Hogan. And I said, I said, okay. Uh, well, I tell you what, I'll help you replace it. So I took it off, and, and in the dressing room, it, the walls were cinder block. So 
I took that battery pack and I threw it against that uh, center block and it shattered and went everywhere. And I said, now you can get me a new one. Get out of my dressing room. So, so intermission came and uh, sure enough, I went into the next act and I had a brand new microphone that worked. It was kind of funny to me. If you're a young singer out there, don't do that. Okay. You know, yeah, don't do that. You know, um, but at the same time, um, yeah, at some point you, know, you have to. Yeah, otherwise you can't be a doormat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. absolutely. Second part of that question is okay. Of all the people that you've worked with, you know, big names and stars, who has been the coolest person? Because a lot of stars end up being unbalanced people, but some of them still manage to like stay human. You know, that's a long list. I, I guess if I went Aww, to. Uh, really? You know, because I have so many, so many wonderful colleagues. I'll, I'll start from the beginning. One of the most influential people in my life uh, coming up was Jerome Hines. And uh, there's a great book out there called This Is My Story, This Is My Song. It was before my junior recital in college. And uh, Dr. Blackburn had this book. I started reading this, and uh, and it really, really touched me. And... Uh, so I wrote a letter to Jerry. And you know how you go through those moments where, man, you know, I hope it's going to be okay. Well, I go there on campus, and I go to my mailbox, and I open it up, and uh, there is a handwritten letter from Jerome Hines, man. Wow. And, uh, and I still have that letter. Well, later, we actually wound up getting to sing together. We did a Don Carlo at Dallas Opera, and, and uh, we did some other things as well. And we were in an interview one day, and, uh, and I was telling this story. And, uh, and Jerry looked down and said, George, was that you? And, uh, <laughs> we became friends and, and, uh, and that his life to me was, uh, such a great example of a Christian walking the walk and talking the talk. I mean, he just was, uh, he was a great man, incredibly talented. If we talked about someone that I really, uh, you know, that I was friends with coming up and that everybody is a household name. Uh, Renee Fleming would be that person. So, and a very sweet lady. I've seen her off and on for years after, you know, and she was just one of those people that never changed. Listening to uh, Luciano Pavarotti live, you know, like 10 wow. feet away from you. I mean, incredible. Uh, you know, to be around there, to be live. And that really kind of goes back to what you guys are doing here, which I'm so excited about. And that is we can't forget live. So there's a difference if I said, man, I'm eating some great Belgian chocolate right now. Or if I was like, man, I'm eating some great virtual Belgian chocolate right now. <laughs> they're just no not, you know, they're not the same. And so, you know, the impact that happens on us uh, with the aura uh, you know, with the spirit, with the air, uh, with the vibrations, so many different things, you know, uh, with the people that we attend, the, the memories that we make. Live is just so much different.
uh, this kind of brings up another one of our questions that we had. You've been all over the world and you're settled back here in Texas. So um, we're kind of wondering what your vision for this local music scene might be. Yeah, I think there's several, you know, there's several things that um, that tend to go against the grain here. One is it's a very transient place. Yeah. Um, you have people going and coming from Scott and White. You have people going and coming from Fort Hood. Fort Hood yeah, so sure. your, your base changes all the time. The other thing that's really nice, I think, for the local uh, band and artists, though, there's so many places now to, you know, to play. Yeah, and there's a lot of talent here, too. I mean, some world-class talent. I mean, Yeah, there's some world-class talent here a lot of people don't know about. A thing that a buddy of mine in Philadelphia started up for classical and Broadway singers. Um, and uh, it's, out, it's being held out of Philadelphia. But, you know, if you're not there, they'll do it virtually live. And it's free. It's free for these singers to get up and have a venue to sing for somebody and get some feedback. It's just our gift back to that wonderful community that blessed us for so many years. So I think around here, too... You know, kind of the same thing. If we can uh, figure out a way to re-enter into this and, you know, once it's over, who knows. That's something that uh, you'd like to audition for and get on Masterclass. Uh, you know, you can uh, you can certainly go to my website and find that, that link. One thing you can look at is that what's our world like without live music? What's our world like without live theater, without live performance? I just don't think God ever created us to be that way. In fact, if you... Theologically speaking, if you want to go and however you want to interpret it, but you know, there's only two things we take to to heaven with us. One is our soul, and the other is music. I really hope and pray that that gets back there. I think, you know, you talk about the impact on on singers. You know, a lot of us look at or, or those that were affected by COVID that lost their jobs, and that certainly goes along with, you know, other establishments. A lot um, of people are losing. Yeah, and a lot of them. Jobs and businesses being lost, yeah. You know, some that were gigging, they can't gig anymore. Um, there's no auditions. There's no recording because no studio is open. There's no touring. And then on top of that, there's no Broadway. There's no Met. Um, and so, and there's no restaurant to work in. And and frankly, you know, if there's some politicians out there, I, I'm sick of you guys. <laughs> I'm sick of you guys. You know, you're not alone. You, you get up there, you make your own retirement, you set your own medical policies. Um, and, uh, you know, the only time that you do get active is when it's going to affect you getting reelected. Um, and, uh, man, there's a lot of people hurting out here, a lot of people. And, uh, so I think all of us, <clears throat> excuse me, all of us and, uh, out here, uh, try to make a difference for those people. So, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, helping out with, uh, you know, an HEB card for food or uh, whatever it is, giving to your local theater or, or your group. I mean, um, you know, we don't want to come out of this thing and not have anything left. You mentioned you that you will be teaching in Italy this summer. Can you give us some more information about that? If you love to sing and you love music, it's 24-7. So you're getting up early in the morning, you're warming your voice up, you're going to either uh, your diction class, learning a language, which would be Italian, you're, uh, you're working with your voice teacher, you're working in a master class setting uh, with other voice teachers or coaches, you're uh, working small ensembles, um, and uh, uh, then in the evening we have performances, um, and... Uh, 
and we'll have excursions and travel to Turin, Savona, uh, Finale Luguria, Noli. If you've never been to those, it's on the Italian Riviera. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. We're actually going to be uh, in Aquiterme, uh, so, uh, which is one of the ancient Roman spa cities. Uh, and that's in the red wine region of Piedmont. But it's a week long and um, worth every penny of it. But yeah, so uh, the one nice thing, if you sign up with me, I can either qualify you or they can. Uh, but if you do go through me and I qualify you, then you don't have to audition. You're just automatically accepted. So there's no age limit. I think that's the cool thing. You can be an adult. Uh, you can be a high school kid. What a great senior present, <laughs> you know, graduation present to be able to go uh, – study in Italy and, and, uh, and really some phenomenal instrumentalists as well. So yeah, it's a international music festival. So if you're a singer or if you're an instrumentalist, uh, we have phenomenal faculty there. The programs that they have over there for strings, for winds and brass, for piano and composition, and uh, of course voice. You know, I mean, it's just really cool. It's a really cool place. So uh, yeah, if that's something you want to do, uh, please feel free. You can contact me through my website there. I'd be happy to uh, speak with you about it. Now, do you have any other projects you're currently working on that we haven't talked about already? I'm doing this nutrition thing right now. I figured I'm home. I might as well get back in fighting shape, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, spend my time losing some weight and getting small and sassy again. I don't know. You know? <laughs> That's a good project. How I spent the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. It's important to dream a dream. You know, it's important to uh, stay active, especially during this time. You know, mm-hmm. don't get swallowed up by the black hole, man. Yeah. You need to spit in your hands, rub them together, and get busy. Go to work. Do something. You can do it. Don't be afraid to ask for help, man. There are people out there that will help you. Obviously, it's not our government, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, if there was something that I could do, I would love to take the politics out of life. Yeah. That's what I would really love to do. I would like to go back to, you know, giving everybody a Coke and we all stand around the world holding hands and drinking a Coke. I don't know. It just <laughs> seems like everything is so vitriol and, and yeah, uh, you know, full of hate. You know, if you don't line up with me, then, you know, you're excommunicated and... I just, man, life's too short for that, gang. And, yeah, uh, for sure. So for me, I'm not, I'm not a big, uh, you know, cancel culture woke guy. You know, I think, uh, I think life is about relationships. Life is about love. Life is about leaving this earth a better place than it was when you got here. Yeah. Uh, passing something good on to someone behind you. It's not about destroying people or uh, getting my revenge on something and. It's easy to sit in that that throne of judgment and cast dispersions on everyone, but when you realize that every every person out there, regardless of what they did or how bad they are or good they are, they're all children of God, and um, you know everyone should be treated accordingly.
find your work or inquire about your services? TheGeorgeHogan.com and on there you'll come into that website. It's got three hubs. One will take you to my singing gigs, one will take you to my teaching, and one will take you uh, to my voiceover. On all of those there's a place where you can uh, send me a note, send me your email or contact info. And on that front page there should be a link for um, the festival in Italy and also the link for the master class that takes place out of Philadelphia, PA. Thank you for joining us today, George. It's been a great honor to speak with you. Hey, you're welcome. And I'm going to leave you with this, man. Zephaniah 317. Uh, the Lord your God is with you. Uh, the mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. So uh, I wish that for all of my colleagues out there right now uh, who feel beaten and trodden uh, and just feel like there's no hope in tomorrow, uh, I just pray that God sings over you and gives you comfort. And, uh, man, he's rejoicing in your gift, and hang on, because it's going to happen soon. And researching this show, both Shanti and I were really amused to learn that 
George's operatic debut was in Des Moines, Iowa. As we both grew up in Iowa, about 100 miles from each other, but we've both been to Des Moines. So it was really tempting to make this segment uh, just a bunch of Iowa jokes. But fear not, dear listener, you will be spared that particular joy this time. You see, I think there's a deeper truth to be explored here. And that is the perception that some people have that there are some places and certain kinds of people who might not be worthy to produce a given style of music. I first was exposed to this idea, I was probably like 11 years old, when some well-meaning adult expressed surprise when I was telling them about someone in my family who worked construction and was also a classical music fan. It was then that I learned that that's rare, that most construction workers don't listen to that kind of music. Construction workers listen to country music. So if any of y'all listening are employed in the construction or other building trades and you are listening to something other than country music, y'all need to stop. Y'all are breaking the rules. Cut that out. Okay, or maybe, maybe you can listen to opera as long as you spell it with a Y and pronounce it Opry. And I also think it's kind of interesting how George knew from an early age that he wanted to do opera. Almost as if as soon as he knew what it was, he knew that was the kind of music he wanted to do. And I've seen that kind of thing happen before. I knew a guy who started out as a kid learning guitar by rote, reading the notes, and was really kind of uninspired by it until somebody showed him a blues scale and the improvisational approach to music. And then he was hooked. That was kind of like his door into music. And in thinking of opening doors into music, I have a challenge for anyone who would choose to accept this. That is to pick a style of music that you're not familiar with, that might be on the fringe of your world. Go ahead and open that door. Just dive on in and see what it's all about. See what's to love and maybe not to love. But just learn about it. And uh, that shouldn't be too hard to do right now, seeing as how everything's all closed down. We're all stuck at home anyway. Just get on the old interwebs and research. Could be a lot of fun. And then an even bigger challenge would be to find a way to experience that music live to see what it's really about. Because even though it's a lot harder right now, there really is nothing like live music. There is just no substitute for it. So go out there and see what life has to offer. Anyway, on that note, as always, peace be with y'all.